Good morning. It is wonderful to be together. Um, wanted to start off by bragging a little bit on everyone that helped out with our fall festival yesterday. It was a smashing success. Our kids had a lot of fun and we had a, a lot of people stop by. A special thanks to, to, uh, to um, Chelsea and Brandy Holt and to Bryn Reed and all the effort they put into coordinating that. I mentioned this in first service, but last year I coordinated a lot of it and it wasn't very good. And so... <laughs> I was really thankful that they stepped in because they had a special set of skills that I just don't have, and it looked really nice and was well done. Open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1. We're in week two of seven weeks that we're going to spend in this uh, challenging, challenging minor prophet. Um, I think you're going to find today's lesson particularly challenging. In fact, I'm going um, to beat up on you a little bit this morning, so you can... Uh, you can buckle up for that. Actually, it's not, it's not me, though. And I, I, as I was preparing this lesson, I, I found myself wanting to interject a lot of pretty apologetic language. And the truth is, the text doesn't. And I think sometimes we need to hear clearly what the text says. So we're going to be in Malachi chapter 1. While you're turning there, I want to ask you all of this. What criteria do you use at home to determine what you're going to donate? I don't know if y'all are like us, but it's always this big debate in the Dozier house. Brianna always wants to do garage sales, and I always want to just give everything away. And, and it's not because I have this heart of charity, it's because I don't want to mess with a garage sale. And, and so we always have this big debate on which box things go to, and there actually ends up being quite a few boxes at the Dozier house. There's the, the donate box. Then there's the, maybe we're going to sell this someday box, and if I win, we're going to eventually donate it, but we usually end up having a garage sale. And then there's another subset of, of, of items that maybe we're saving to give to someone we know, and so we were blessed as we were raising kids by getting a lot of hand-me-down clothes. So a lot of things go into this box that it's like, we might could donate that or, or take it to a garage sale, but we know some people who could use this, some close friends, so we're going to save this for them. And then I think there's maybe even another category beyond that, when, um, when maybe we have something that, that we never actually used, like a, a jacket or a pair of shoes that still has the tags on it. And, and those, it's like an extra level of care goes into who we're maybe going to give that to. We definitely don't want to donate that fancy stuff. And so we have this category of the super nice things that maybe we'll give to someone who's super close to us. Like I bought a pair of boots the other day, and they were really nice boots, but I didn't like them. But I'd worn them enough that I couldn't take them back, and so I gave them to Chad because, you know, Chad could appreciate it. So that was, that was a, a worthy place to give these really nice boots. Couldn't bring myself to take them to Goodwill. It just, it just is what it is. It hurt me too much. All right, so now I've exposed how uncharitable I am. And all of you are the same way, so, so quit judging. I can see in your eyes, I can see in your eyes that you're the same way. Then there's another category of, of maybe um, items that would be gifts. Gifts that we specifically bought for someone who is important. These were never meant to be our own. They were purchased for and intended to give to someone special in our lives. And so we have this whole gamut of things and this whole method of sorting them and determining who is the appropriate person to be the recipient of these items. Now, I want you to put that one, shelf that one for just a second, and I want you to think about another interesting phenomenon that happens, I think, in all of our houses, and this is the debate surrounding dinnerware. 
what are we going to eat dinner off of this evening? Okay, so if you're at the Dozier house, there are some nights that aren't just pizza nights. It's like pizza on a paper towel night, okay? This is the lowest of the low. This is, this is when you just need to get some food and you really don't care and it's been a long day. But if you're feeling fancy and you're getting pizza, then you bring out the paper plates. That's like fancy, pa- uh, fancy pizza night. Okay, but, but there's a step above that when Brianna has cooked. You know, of course, we sometimes still use paper plates, but usually we serve the meal on our, you know, normal dinnerware. But then if someone really special is coming over, you pull out all the stops and you bring out the fancy stuff. I think we have fancy stuff somewhere. It's probably in storage. And some of y'all probably gave it to us for a wedding gift doesn't get used very often. But, but it's there in case we ever needed it, okay? The, the fancy of the fancy. Okay, now shelf that. Think about some other things that we do in our houses. This is, this is a fun one. Acceptable levels of house cleanliness, okay? There's a whole spectrum here too, and y'all know what I'm talking about. There's like the, we're trying to keep the kids alive, don't judge us too much. This is, this is the bottom of the barrel. There's junk everywhere, it's filthy, but the kids are maybe somewhere that we could find them and so it's okay. okay that's, that's, that's how we live a lot of times. But probably the most normal, normal space that we live in is that it's obvious that people live here, but we're not absolute animals, all right? And so, so y'all know what that looks like in your day-to-day. Now, now, when someone who we're kind of close to is maybe coming over, we might do a little tidying up. And that takes us to the next level of house cleanliness. It's, look how clean our house is, but don't you dare open any closed doors. (laughs) All right, so y'all are with me on that. We live in that realm a lot. We can clean up the house really quick if people just leave the doors shut. Then, Then there's this extra level. Welcome to our home, would you like a tour? That's a lot of work. I do not like when people come over to our house that are gonna require a tour because then we have to clean up behind all of the closed doors. But then there's even another level, and it is no one lives here, we're tricking you. And, and where everything is perfect, and that is the most miserable place to be for me. Um, but sometimes we have to go there. Now, I want you to think about all of this, and, 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 and think about how we determine when each of these categories is fulfilled. You know, I think most of the time, as someone moves up on the scale of gift giving, as they might come closer and closer to someone who is worthy of the most special gift, they're probably invited into our homes under more and more lax circumstances. And it's with that person that we're more likely to just be sure the doors are shut or maybe really let our guard down and just be happy that the kids are alive, come eat pizza off of a paper plate with us, but I'm going to buy you a really good Christmas gift, okay? There's people like that in our lives, but I, I wonder, I wonder if there's anyone in your life that would get the best of the best in every one of these situations, Someone whom you would not only buy the best gift for, but that you would make your house spotless for, that you would serve the best meal that your money could buy on the best dining ware that, that, that you have in your home, that type of person. Is, is there someone in your life who you have the highest regard for? Someone who maybe you desire to look on you with favor, 
Someone whom you might have a close relationship with, but you wouldn't necessarily want to take your shoes off and and hang out with them. This is someone who would come into your home that you would have reverence for, who you would give your best in every single situation. Someone who is probably powerful and influential and important and worthy of respect and honor and glory. In today's passage, God makes clear which category he should be in. And I believe... I believe it's going to challenge us to take a close look at how our daily choices and how we live speak volumes about where our heart lies. We're going to start in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. This is the second of six kind of back and forth discourses where a statement is made and um, there is a question asked and then God steps in and and really defends himself and clarifies. And so this section is going to continue through the middle of chapter 2, and we're going to walk through it just a little bit at a time. The very first main question and answer happens in Malachi 1.6, and it reads this. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? So God steps in and God asks the first set of important questions. God says, where's my honor? Where's my fear? Where's the attitude that you know you should have towards me? And, and this question are directed to this subset of people, his, his priest. And the priest look back at God, and, and, and they ask this question in return. They say, what do you mean, God? Uh, how have we despised your name? How? What are these things that you speak of, God? Now, before we look at how God responds to them, and we're going to spend a lot of time with that, I think it's important for us to acknowledge their question here at the beginning. Because I I think as we read through this passage, it is our inclination to see that they were obviously insincere with this question because they had a lot of problems. They really did despise his name, but the truth is this. Based on their question, I'm not sure that they realized the error of their ways. This is humbling, and I think that this should give us pause, because if they can believe they are honoring his name when they are not, could the same not be true of us? For that reason, I think that it is important for us to settle in and be honest with ourselves this morning and listen to what God has to say. If someone accused you, if someone accused you of despising their name, what would you first think they had a problem with? If, if you're like me, if someone says, how dare you despise my name, I would think that they had heard through the grapevine that I had been talking behind their back, maybe talking some trash, doing a little gossiping, maybe cutting them down when, when they weren't around. And the bottom line is this, these priests were not doing that. They had not spoken ill of God, at least not that I can see in the text. I'm reading between the lines here a little bit, but I'm going to guess that they thought that they were doing a really good job of speaking really highly about God. I mean, later on in the text, we're going to see that he, he does talk a little bit about the words that they use, but he's not, um, he's not getting on to them for speaking poorly of him. The problem was not that they didn't have great words for God. The problem was that they gave lip service only to God. You see, you can give respect 
with words. But if your actions show otherwise, you find yourself in a dangerous spot. We share a lot in common with God's audience in Malachi. First of all, I believe we serve as modern-day priests. So I think when God turns his attention to the priest here, then we can take heart and listen because we serve that role under the New Testament. We're going to look at a verse of that in just a second. The second way that I think we sh- thing that we share in common with them is we believe, we believe wholeheartedly that we honor and fear God. In other words, we've been given a special responsibility to stand before a holy God, and we think we are doing a pretty good job of it. While the, the concept of all believers under the new covenant of Christ serving as the collective priesthood is certainly a concept woven throughout all of Scripture, there are two primary verses that, that directly make the claim, Revelations 5.10 and 1 Peter 2.9. And I want to read 1 Peter 2.9 to you. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, the people he was speaking to here in, the, in Malachi represent this, this relatively narrow spectrum of the people. They were the priests. They were served with this, this special role to be mediators between the broader community and God. Now, I look at this passage from 1 Peter 2, and I see that we as a people are designed to serve in a very similar role. Under the New Testament, a lot of things changed, and this order of priesthood went away. But God took you, he took his believers, he took those who were saved, and he put them in this role where they became the royal priesthood, each and every one of you. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belong to him. And what is your role with the world? Your role is to step out and proclaim to the world that we serve an excellent and loving God. We are tasked with connecting a very broken culture to a holy God, proclaiming him to them. And so we need to read these words of instruction very carefully. If God stood in front of you and said, where is my honor, you who despise my name? How would you answer? I think probably like the priest here in Malachi, we would all say, whoa, whoa, hold on, God. Wait, what? How have I done that to you? I only speak highly of you when I speak of you. I attend church regularly. I work very hard to control my tongue. I refrain from cursing, and I don't laugh at very many of the dirty jokes that I hear at work. And God would look at you, and he would say, it's more than just going through the motions. It's more than just saying the right things. To honor me is to respect me enough to give me your best. In other words, God says here in Malachi, I am the guest. I am the guest that is worthy of the cleanest house and the finest china and the most precious gift. And anything less misrepresents my greatness to the world, my priest. In verses 7 through 8, they say, How have we despised you? And he says, By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? 
present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? You see, these people were offering blind, lame, and sick animals in sacrifice. And and God says, here's a test. Here's a way to think about this. If you gave that gift to your governor, what would they think about it? Would your gift cause a worldly leader to look upon you with favor? You see, God is painting this this scenario that, quite honestly, is a little bit comical. It's ridiculous. It's embarrassing. I I think maybe you could even say that it is a little bit repulsive. And it it simply uses the example of of a small-town elected or maybe appointed official as his centerpiece. What if it was the governor of the state of Texas? Would he accept your offering? What if it was the president of the United States? Is that what you would hand over to him? What if it was the Lord God, creator and master of all of the universe? That's the question here that he's asking. And yet they give him their leftovers and have the gall to ask for his favor. In verse 9, and now you entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? You see, this isn't an abstract idea that we have a difficulty connecting with. This is a very tangible and relatable example of how we tend to get off track with God. If you were, for instance, working with the city mayor and you had a special agenda item that you needed placed at the next meeting and you said, hey, come out with me, Mr. Mayor. I want to take you to a meal at this restaurant. And as he sat down, you whispered over to the waiter, hey, do you have any of that uh, leftover food that I just saw that table take back? It looked good enough. If you could just bring that out and give me some of your discount food. We can take care of this guy. And that's the plate that you set out in front and said, all right now, Mr. Mayor, I have a favor to ask of you. None of you would do that. That's insane. And, and, And yet Malachi says, ultimately, this is what's happening. This is what's happening with with the priest here. And so it makes sense for God to respond in this this very this very direct and and challenging way. Look in verse 10. He says, Oh, that there was one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle the altar, kindle on my altar, kindle fire on my altar in vain. God says, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand, for from the rising of the sun to its setting my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations says the lord of hosts but you profane it when you say that the lord's table is polluted and its fruit that is its food may be despised but you say what a weariness this is and you snort at it says the lord of hosts You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations." God says, I'm not going to accept that offering. It's offensive. 
When you offer things like that to me, it, it makes me appear as if I'm some sort of beggar to the rest of the world. For us, the created and chosen, to look at God and snort as if we can give him our leftovers, as if he's worthy maybe of the donation box at best, God says, that's not going to work because I'm the Lord and I'm going to be feared among the nations. So if we are his modern-day priest, what type of sacrifices do we make today? Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we no longer bring an unblemished male lamb. We no longer offer blood sacrifice. We no longer present to him the best of our physical resources. We are called to offer him a a living sacrifice. Your very person, your very body is what you are called to give him as these New Testament priests. And so allow me to ask a very important question that comes straight from the text in Malachi 1 verse 10. Based on the sacrifices you are offering, do you kindle his fire in vain? Do you kindle the fire on his altar in vain? Do we profane the Lord's table and the food that we set forth with our lives? Are we giving him our best or are we giving him our leftovers? Maybe the parts of us that don't cost much and aren't worth that much to anyone else. Is he treated like the most honorable dignitary that could ever grace your presence? Or do we give him gifts from our donate box? Now don't don't shut me out. I think we need to reflect on this a little bit. I think we need to be honest with ourselves because we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people meant to proclaim his excellencies. So, So what are our choices proclaiming to the world around us? If your employer is getting your best while God is getting your scraps, you despise his name in the workplace. If your children are getting your best while God is getting your scraps, you despise his name in your home. If your hobby is getting your best while God is getting your scraps, You despise his name to every witness that watches. For you to to say, I'm a Christian and, and I follow Christ and I serve God and yet pollute his table and despise his name by prioritizing anything above him, if that's where you're at, then you are kindling the fire on his altar in vain. And if that's going to be our approach, if that's the way that we're going to live, to give lip service to God, but in our actions and in our sacrifice, give him our leftovers, to those of us who would do that, God would say, I wish there was one among you who would shut the door so that you would stop kindling the fire on my altar in vain. You see, the intent here isn't to make you feel insufficient no matter what you give to him. God didn't ask Israel to place every lamb in their flock on the altar. He didn't didn't ask them to do that. He simply asked for their best. God isn't saying you can't have a life. He isn't saying that your job isn't important, that your family isn't important, that you're a failure if you have a savings account. He isn't saying that you shouldn't have a hobby unless it's Bible study or service projects. That's, that's not what he's saying. He, 
What he's saying is, I need a priesthood that views me right. I need a priesthood out there interacting with the world who fears me and respects me and, to be honest, honors the love that I had laid forth when, when I chose to make a pathway for you to come to me. That's what God is looking for. And we can't do that through lip service. We do that by offering him our best. We can't say that he is the best and give him our leftovers. So let's get practical. You don't have a flock of sheep. I know that. You have time, you have physical resources, and you have personal talents and skills. Now, I think it's easiest for us to give our physical resources. We have biblical precedent for giving. We take up a collection every week. I'm grateful for those of you who have been so generous with your money. That's been a wonderful thing because it's allowed us to do wonderful work for the kingdom. But if our sacrifice is meant to be our bodies, and that's what Romans 12.1 teaches us, then our primary means of giving to God are going to require that we give him time and personal skills. And I think that's a little bit more difficult. How do you use your body, those skills that you have and the time that you've been gifted to make his name great among the nations? How do you use those so that his name would be feared among those who see you and interact with you? And I'm going to say the principle laid out here is that you give him first. You give him your best. You give to him in a way that all of those around you know that he is the most important thing to you. And that means you're going to have some hard decisions to make. The term is sacrifice after all. And sacrifice isn't easy. You're going to have to give up some opportunities. You're going to have to put yourselves in situations where you trust him instead of yourself. And while I recognize that service in the local church is certainly not the only way to offer ourselves to God, it is probably the arena with the most opportunity. It's probably the arena and place that our culture is looking closest to see what priority God takes in your life. And so I would ask all of you some questions. If you can teach and aren't teaching, why not? Lisa is always looking for help. Right now, Marty Tebow needs nursery volunteers. It's in the bulletin. There's places to serve everywhere that you look. Right now, we need volunteers to serve at the Cesar Chavez Thanksgiving dinner that will happen in a couple of weeks. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer, and I think some people from early service signed up since I got onto them, so it's not full yet. It's not full yet. Steve Brown always needs help in the sound booth. There's a lot of you who have the skills that could help back there. Clinton Purdue has a great fellowship team, but you know what? I see a lot of the same people serving over and over again. They have a servant's heart, but it'd be nice if we could share the load. We have slots to help with funeral meals. Barry Williams and Carolyn Adkins are doing a great ministry in the jail, but I could guarantee you they could use more help out there teaching the gospel to those people who are incarcerated. Richard Bryan, he's got a, some volunteers signed up to help with the building and grounds, but to be honest, on Saturdays, I usually see Richard out there by himself with his family pulling weeds in the flower bed, and that's work that needs to be done and things that a lot of you could do. Our security team is stretched thin. Those men don't get to sit with their families while they're watching out for you and being sure that you're safe. They could use some help if we had those particular skills. The truth is this. There's probably going to be 500, 550 people here this morning. That's wonderful. I'm thankful for that. If the weather was better, we'd probably have a few more. But, but 350 of you are doing little to nothing other apart from, from showing up. And you can be offended if you will, but that shouldn't be. God demands more than lip service. 
He demands our sacrifice. How great would it be for us to have so many willing volunteers that we had to create new ministries so that you all had a place to serve? I believe if you took to heart what God is saying here to the priest here in Malachi, that is exactly what would happen. And I, and I believe the world would be a better place. There would be so many people impacted by your choice to place him on the highest pedestal and serve him with everything that you have. So many people would be impacted and changed by that. So much more than any word that I could say from this pulpit. And you know it. You know that the world has changed when there is a priesthood of believers going out and representing the mightiness of our God to a world in a way that is powerful, proclaiming to them the love that he has for us, the way that this, this life is better, the, the might and glory of who he is. Now, as we finish our text, here's what God has to say to those who might give him a half offering, those who might give him lip service. We're going to Go pretty quick through the last part of this text. Let's start by reading verses 1 through 6. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from iniquity. In other words, God said, if you're going to offer me your waste, that's what you're going to get in return. You're going to get waste back. But if you offer me your best, if you live out under the terms of this covenant relationship that I have set up with you, then life and peace, the most valuable and precious blessings that we could ever ask for, those are the results life and peace these blessings that we have in God finishing out 7 through 9 for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts but you have turned aside from the way you have caused many to stumble by your instruction you have corrupted the covenant of Levi says the Lord of hosts and so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction you see it is only after first having a proper view of God a fearful and reverent view of God that we can speak words of any value to the world around us but if we as New Testament priests are attempting to instruct others of the glories of God while despising his name in how we live and sacrifice, then we will find that instead of guiding the world to him, we lay forth a stumbling block and do more harm than good. May we never despise his name by settling in and becoming comfortable and neglecting to give him our best. Our sacrifices do not make us worthy of salvation but they do have a tremendous impact on how the world views him and a tremendous impact on how his favor will intersect with our lives on this side of eternity. How you will experience life 
and how you will experience peace. May you give him first. May you give him your best. May he be the one who you give all honor and glory and respect that is due. And it is my prayer that we will be a faithful priesthood in the midst of a broken world, proclaiming his excellencies in a way that paints a true and crystal clear picture to the world. I hope today's lesson has challenged many of you. I hope that you will give some considerations to what you are giving to God and whether it's your best or your leftovers. And I hope you will understand that what you're giving represents something to the world. Perhaps you've been living a selfish life outside of Christ. You've studied and come to learn that this is a better way to live, being in Jesus. And if that's the case, I I pray that you would not risk eternity with a delay, that you would respond to the invitation, that you would be baptized and move forward as a a part of this priesthood that we all are together, a, a saved people, that you would join forces with us in proclaiming him to the world. Perhaps you're not convinced Perhaps you're not a believer and you're still wrestling with it and you're not sure that all of this stuff we talk about is true and we'd love to study with you and explain to you why we believe so deeply in it. Maybe you need to repent and and redirect and if that's you, we can pray and support you in that. Here in just a second, we're going to have an invitation and if any of those are you, I hope that you'll come forward. But it may be that some of you need to respond to the invitation, maybe not by walking forward, but by giving consideration to your priorities and changing them. By choosing to give your time and talents first to God. If that's you, I ask that you would prayerfully consider what are you giving to Him? What does your best look like? How are you representing Him to the world? If you need to redirect, we can certainly help you find an outlet for your time and your talents. We would, we would love to help with that. I believe you will be blessed, and I believe the world will be blessed. May we all be challenged and changed as we stand and sing.